If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22. We're starting a series called The Rock, Lesson from the Life of Peter. Anybody know why we call it The Rock? No. What? I see that hand. Yes, but that's not why we're calling it that. Was your hand up? Somebody else? I thought I saw a hand over here. No. What? No, not the, no, not Alcatraz. No, later, Jesus tells Peter, you are the rock on which I'm going to build my church. Okay, so Peter is sometimes known as the rock. This whole series, the next six or so weeks, is going to be lessons from the life of Peter. We're going to examine things that happened in Peter's life and discuss what we can learn from them. So first, let's talk about what do we know about Peter. Okay, uh, anybody who know what Peter's given name was? What was his name before Jesus called him Peter? Simon. Okay, his name was Simon. Okay, he was Simon, and Jesus said, I'm going to call you Peter. And we may, that's in John chapter 1, verse 42, if you care to find that out. What was his job? Anybody know what Peter did? Okay, somebody besides Austin, he started answering. Yes, he was a fisherman. That's correct. Okay, so that's what he did for, for a living. He worked, do you know where he was a fisherman? What sea? Sea of Galilee, yep. Okay, that's where Jesus hangs out a lot. Here's, a bit, here's an interesting one I bet you guys didn't know. Uh, you don't have to be writing this down. If you, I mean, if you want to, you can, but I'm going to get to the, like, the point later. Um, he was married. Did you all know that? Peter was married? Yeah, Peter was married. In Matthew chapter 8, it talks about they went to Peter's, the house of the mother of Peter's wife or something like that. So basically, his mother-in-law. You can't have a mother-in-law without first having a spouse. So yeah, Peter's married. Um, he wrote two books of the Bible. Anybody want to take a guess which books he wrote? First and Second Peter. Very good. Okay. That was a trick question, but most of y'all got it. He wrote First and Second Peter. He was considered one of the great preachers and evangelists and fathers of the church. I don't know if this one's on the West. I don't think it is. He, uh... You know, in, in Acts, you see him. Oh, you didn't have to do all that. Oh, there it is. Okay, yeah. So he was one of the early, you know, he's one of the 12 disciples, of course. And he, in Acts and, and throughout, or yeah, in Acts tells the story of how he started churches and, and mentors in early churches. Did y'all know that in the Catholic circles, he's the first pope, Pope Peter I. He's, the, he's, he's considered the first pope in the papal history line. Um, and the term first among equals means that Basically, of the 12 disciples, they were all equal, but every time they're all listed, he's first, okay? So he's kind of important. Um, he was part of Jesus' inner circle, like there was the 12, but then there was three really close ones that Jesus was really tight with, Peter, James, and John, and they were, uh, Peter had a brother, Andrew, who was also part of the disciples. He got left out for some reason of those close ones, but yeah, Peter, James, and John are the three. They're the ones who get to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. They're the ones who get to... Go pray in Gethsemane, um, Gethsemane, right before Jesus is arrested. They're the ones who, he's like, hey, y'all come closer with me, and then they fall asleep and all this stuff. So he's part of that. He was also a man of great emotion. He was really emotional, and we know this because of some stories, and he was great passion, very passionate, which probably helped him be a really exciting preacher. I bet he was entertaining to listen to. Um, but it also meant he sometimes had anger issues, okay? John 18, he chops a dude's ear off. You know, that's a, that's a good one. That, that tells you he probably had anger issues. When you're chopping guys' ears off, that's not good. And then he also tended to talk without thinking, which many of you can relate to, and I can as well at times, okay, we can, if we're being honest here. So we're going to – so that's just kind of an overview of, of Peter. We're going to jump into the story here in Matthew chapter 4. Now let me give you a little background. 
Back in the biblical times, a job was a family tradition, okay? It wasn't like, oh, my dad had this job, but I want to do this. No, it was a family business. Your dad had a job. When you got old enough, you started working at the same, same place, and then you took it over when he died or whatever. And, it, you know, it went for generations like that, okay? In fact, many last names, many surnames come from that, come from the name, um, for example, if you, anybody with the last name Smith, that was like a blacksmith, okay? Uh, Taylor, you know, somebody who sews, if your last name is Taylor, it's somebody who sews and makes clothes, you know, a weaver, somebody who weaves blankets and whatnot. Uh, Baker and Shepherd, these were, now we just know them as last names, but at the time they identified what you did. I don't know Scarborough. I don't know Ambrose either, so. But those that, that you know, if you think about it, there's a bunch of them. I, I, I don't know. I can't tell you. I'm just going with the ones I've got on my notes here, okay? Okay, if you've seen A Knight's Tale, he was called William Thatcher because his dad was a Thatcher. That's what he was. I'm going to move on from this point, so if you're going to ask a question about this, I'm just going to ignore it and keep moving. A Thatcher is someone who makes nets. That's, a, that's somebody who makes nets. Okay, that's a reasonable question. So... So that's how, that's how important jobs were and that they did, that was your name. Like you didn't have a last name like we know of it today. It was John the Thatcher, okay, or Simon the Fisherman. That's what he would have been called. Simon Fisher would have been his name in, in today's, today's kind of parlance. Okay, and fishing was a blue-collar job. Okay, it wasn't for the, you know, it wasn't fancy. It was kind of like the rigs out here, you know, out here, the oil field workers. It's blue-collar. You get dirty. You get smelly. You know, if, if you all have ever done any fishing, you know it stinks. There's no way to smell good while you're fishing, especially out deep-sea fishing like that. Okay? So, so that's kind of some background here so you know where they were at. This passage is also found, this same story is found in Mark 1, Luke 5, and John 1, which is really interesting. And, and whenever there's stories that are in multiple Gospels, some will say that, oh, well, they have this says this and this says this version, and they, they contradict each other. They don't. They usually just augment. They, they add to the story. They give it a more well-rounded picture. If all of us saw an event happen, we might all describe it differently based on things that we notice. And it's kind of the same thing. So this, this particular story happens in all four Gospels. We're going to read the version out of Matthew, starting in verse 18. Says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. By the way, James and John are also known as the Sons of Thunder, which is just an awesome name. I just wanted to throw that out there. The Sons of Thunder is fun. Because I think Zebedee means thunder. Um, <laughs> I think that's why. So... I don't think it's any more complicated than that. That's why they're called the Sons of Thunder. I believe. I might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that's right. So we're going to take three things from this story. And I'm going to kind of pull them out there. Now, if you read the account in John, it kind of tells you why Peter was motivated to follow Jesus. You might think it's kind of random that he just came up and was like, hey, follow me. And they did. Okay. In, the ver in John's version, you kind of get a little backstory on why they did that. Okay. Peter's brother, Andrew who was a disciple of John the Baptist, said, okay, this is the Messiah. John had told him this was the Messiah they were looking for. So that's why they were motivated to do that. So it's not quite as random as it feels like. But, but where were they when, they when Jesus called them? 
They were working. They were at work. Okay, so a few of you have jobs. Most of you don't. But, but imagine if somebody just walked up to somebody who was working at a grocery store. Imagine if you're at HEB and some guy just comes in and goes, hey, cashier, you follow me. That'd be weird, right? That'd be strange. Okay, but let's imagine that they had a reason to and they knew that this is what they were supposed to do. Jesus didn't pull these guys aside and go, hey, come here, come here. I want you to follow me. No, he called them out publicly. That's the first point. Jesus called Peter publicly. Okay, you may have heard the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And, and Jesus said, Wes, this is a point, by the way. Thank you. Uh, and Jesus said, well, first follow the laws. And he said, yeah, I've been doing that my whole life. And Jesus said, great, sell all your stuff and give it to the poor and then follow me. And the guy went away and he was sad because he was very rich. I don't think Jesus necessarily did that just to get rid of all the guy's stuff, although generosity is great. But I think he did it to prove that because the guy wanted to follow Jesus quietly. He didn't want it to be a big deal. That's why he came to Jesus in the night. And Jesus said, no, this is a public thing. Sell all your stuff and give it to the poor so everybody knows what's going on here. And the guy wouldn't do it, okay? That's why we baptize publicly. Okay, this is why, you know, we had baptism just a few weeks ago, and I preached on that. I taught about that a little bit. But that's why we do it publicly. This is a public thing. Following Jesus is not a private thing. Now, it is a private decision. You make this decision to follow Jesus on a, on a one-to-person basis. This isn't a group decision. Okay, we're all going to follow Jesus now. It has to be made for you and for yourself, but this is not something that you can do and keep hidden to really do it. Okay, you cannot follow Jesus quietly and hidden. Okay, the second point is this. Jesus called Peter immediately. He called him immediately. He didn't say, well, you know what? Finish what you're doing. I'll come back in a few months. When, when, you know, when you get everything to a good point, when you, get to, when, when you come to a stopping point, then you can follow me. That's not how it works. Jesus calls us right here and right now. In Matthew 8, there's a story about somebody who came to him and said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father which doesn't sound that big a deal, except that this guy, scholars believe this guy's dad was nowhere close to dead. It wasn't like his dad was sick. He said, Lord, let me just wait till my dad dies. So it might be 15, 20 years. You know, the guy wanted to wait on his time. He didn't want to leave in the middle of something. He said, and Jesus said to him, no, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. Let your dad die when he's going to die, and that's fine. But this is not the time to wait on it. See, and some of you guys know Jesus does not call us when, we're, when it's necessarily convenient. Okay, Paul and Sam, um, you guys know the Freemans. They've come here. They preached on, or they spoke on a Sunday morning one time several months back. They're out in Tanzania now. And, and they are in a, it's very rough right there. There have been, I think I saw 10 churches burned to the ground recently. Um, in Tanzania, where they are. That was not convenient for them to go, to leave their family, but God called them to go to Africa. And I'm not saying he's calling you to Africa. That's between you and God. It may be. But it's not convenient. In fact, right after they got there is when a lot of this violence broke out. So that sounds like a pretty inconvenient time to do it. But that's how they were called, and that's when God called them. God is not necessarily going to wait till you get everything done. And some of us and some people are like, oh, well, God, let me, get, let me get established. Let me get a good career and get some financial stability, and then I'll follow you. And Jesus is like, no. God doesn't, God doesn't roll like that. If anything, if we'll let him, he'll help us find a better career and be more happy than we thought we were going to be. But there's always a reason not to follow Jesus. There's always a reason to postpone it. There's always a reason to, to, to procrastinate on this. And that's not how Jesus works, okay? So Peter called, or Jesus called Peter immediately. 
Okay, the third point is this. Jesus called Peter as part of a group. And I find that interesting that at the same time he called Peter, he called his brother Andrew, and then immediately the very next verse he goes and calls James and John. And of course there were 12 disciples, eight besides these four. God did not call us to, to walk with Jesus alone. This is not a, a solitary journey that we're called to. Which is cool because some of you guys know it can be really hard at times to walk with Jesus. Sometimes you're tempted to do things that, that you know you shouldn't do. That's when we have people to, to help us along, okay? Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. What does that mean? That means that those of us that love God and love Jesus are here to lift one another up. Okay, if you're struggling with something, that's, you know, that's why I always say, and I don't know if I remember to say this, that where'd the bucket go? Where'd the, the thing with the pens in it, where'd it go? Anybody know? Okay, it's back there. If you've got prayer requests, you can drop them in the bucket because they'll get prayed for. Okay, and, and, and I, that's why I'm always asking you, well, what do you got going on? Or, you know, and I want to come to support you at your concerts and your games and stuff. Okay, it's not just so I can, can, can make myself seen. I don't know. I don't care about being seen. I'm perfectly content to sit at home a lot of the time. It's because I want to support you. Okay, it's because I want you guys to know that you're loved and that, that I care about you and that I support you in what you do. That's the way God calls us to be, and we need to support one another. We're not called to be loners in Jesus, okay? That's not the way this life works, okay? God did not call us to be one Christian and a, and a bunch of individual Christians on our own. No, he called us. That's why we have the church. That's why in the second chapter of Acts, it says they were together in the upper room, and Jesus told them to wait there until the Holy Spirit came, and we're going to get to the Holy Spirit later in this series, but... They were together, and, and then later in the second chapter of Acts, it says, and more and more added to their number daily. It was a group thing, and, the, and at that time, they shared food, and, and if somebody, you know, couldn't afford to, to, to pay for their own food or whatever, they would share, and it was, a, you know, it was kind of a big, big group effort here, and they were living life together. And so we have a tendency as humans especially when we're going through something hard or, or through a time of great temptation to isolate ourselves. You get depressed, and you don't want to talk to anybody, right? We talked a little bit about depression. Some of you may have been there, maybe not in a clinical form, but, but you know, you're having a bad day. What do you do? You go home, and you slam the door, and you lay in your room, and you cry in the pillow or something. I don't know. Okay? Maybe you're going through a time of great temptation, and maybe you gave in to that temptation a little bit. And you're like, man, I don't want anyone to see me. I feel, so, you know, everybody's going to know what I did. And I'm such a terrible Christian. I can't believe I did this. And, and so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go and hide so that nobody can see me. The problem with that does is it gives us more opportunity to sin, to keep in that. We can't hold each other up. Okay, I t I've talked, I think I talked just a couple weeks ago about Aaron and Moses when they were in the battle. And, and, and as long as Moses' hands were in the air, the Israelites were winning. This was Old Testament back in Genesis, Exodus time. Okay, as long as, as long as his hands were in the air, they were winning. But his hands got tired. So what happened? Aaron and somebody else came and held his hands up. And the Israelites won the battle. You almost never see, even in, even in the New Testament, when Paul's going out on his missionary journeys, Paul takes Silas with him. Okay? He takes Timothy with him. He takes Andrew, Mark Andrew with him, who ends up writing a, a decent chunk of the New Testament. Okay? 
or being a major part of it. Maybe he didn't write it. But, okay, this is a, they never go alone. The, the disciples are almost never alone at any point in the New Testament. You rarely ever see, see that. When Paul was in jail, a lot of times he was with, you know, Silas or whoever. Okay? Peter and Paul were in jail, and, and you know, they praised God, and, they, and, they, and, and the angel came and opened it up. All this stuff is together. And this is a big one because we don't think about this a lot. We tend to think of, of our walk as just a one-man thing, and it is important. Our walk with Jesus is a very personal thing, and we each, we each do have to have our own walk. We have to have our own relationship with Jesus. So we have to walk together in this life. That's why we have youth group. It's why we have church as a whole, so we can lift one another up. Church is not about judgment. It's not about putting each other down. It's not about making each other feel bad about the things that we do. We're here to walk together. Okay, so you've heard. So those are the three points. Number one, we cannot live this life quietly and without anybody knowing. If you're really following Jesus, people are going to know. So some of you, some of you just need to get over that fact. Some of you have been trying to live for Jesus without anybody figuring it out. It's cool or whatever, and that's impossible. So you need to just accept that and move on. Some of you are trying to put it off. You know, well, when I get out of high school or, or when I, maybe it's, so oh, I don't go to first priority in middle school, but when I get to high school, I'm going to go to first priority and start doing stuff. No, you're probably not. Okay, you need to make the decision now because it's not about procrastination. Jesus did not give the disciples the opportunity to, to, to wait. And I'm not saying you need to go and follow a guy around because Jesus already came. He's not on the earth now. So if somebody comes now telling you they're the Messiah, they're a liar. So don't do that, but, but following Jesus in this world is not a, a wait-and-see thing, okay? And then number three, be a part of the group. You guys are here, okay? And I'm glad for that, and most of you guys are really faithful. But, uh, you know, you need to be a part of the group. You need to be a part of other Christians. Let me rephrase that. You need to be with other Christians, and not that you can't have non-Christian friends. You need to have non-Christian friends, too, because that's, that's who we're witnessing to, but... Yes, Jesus hung out with the non-Christians all the time. He used to make all the church people mad because he'd go to eat with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and stuff. Okay? He did. Jesus, you know, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, which is like a lawyer today, okay? A profession that was made fun of and not, not looked upon as a good guy. Zacchaeus was looked on as a cheat and a liar. And Jesus went and hung out with him. He used to make the Pharisees mad all the time. So those are the, the, the three main points that I wanted to, to get across to you guys tonight. Um, so we're going to pray here. and I just want you guys to think, is there a way of these three things that you need to work on? Have you been trying to do it alone? Have you been trying to do it quietly? Or have you been putting it off? And allow the Holy Spirit to kind of work on you tonight um, to call you out on that.